Welcome back to the show. It's Evelyn, your host. And today you're going to get to meet Joel Denning. Joel and I met in high school and I invited him onto the show because he recently reconnected. Well, we didn't reconnect. Um, I saw a post of his um, where he had talked about leaving the Mormon faith. And we have um, had many conversations starting when we were in high school, um, more into our adulthood, like when we would go to college and things, we would have these conversations about theology and what we believed. And so when I saw his post um, about leaving the Mormon faith, I reached out to him um, because I have felt um, not similar but I have found myself in a season of, well, it is similar in some ways, but in a season of reflecting on what I believe and trying to figure that out and where I fit. And so I thought it was interesting that he's been um, walking this journey. And uh, so he and I talked a little bit, we messaged back and forth, and then I invited him to be a guest. So this episode is really um, more of us basically uh, talking through where we are, what, and, and basically we found actually a lot of similarities between his story and mine. And uh, we talked to about uh, some of the layers uh, around our own personal beliefs and, uh, and even just like looking to the future and what that looks like. And um, honestly, I would love to have him back on. This was a more uh, kind of free flowing conversation and so, um, yeah, it gave me a lot to think about coming off of it. So I am looking forward to you getting a chance to meet Joel. Welcome back to the show. I've got Joel on with me and, um, Joel, where are you based? Remind me. I'm in Salt Lake city, in Utah. Okay. And Joel and I went to high school together. And it's funny, Joel, because I, I, um, I, we could have talked about this before we started, but I was telling my boyfriend how we were connected. And I, I remember I told him the story about the Mormonism in a nutshell article Mm, or website. So, (laughs) so just a little backstory here. Um, When I started high school in ninth grade, like right before that, uh, where we lived, they put in a Mormon temple. And I'd never heard of Mormonism and there was a whole community that grew there. And I was very curious because I'd grown up in the Christian faith. And so Joel and I became friends in high school. Um, And, but after high school, we'd have these conversations about Mormonism and Christianity. And so uh, recently Joel was sharing a little bit about his journey, but we've just stayed connected and I wanted him to be a guest here because I, I appreciate the courage that it's taken for him to have these conversations with himself and, um, and also just your intellect, Joel, I've always liked that about you. You're very, um, you just think a lot. And I think there's a lot of rich things that you come to because of that. And so I'm really happy to have you here. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It is, um, you know, I graduated high school in Kentucky and I was there for three years and then I left and I haven't gone back. And so like that period of my life um, is sort of like a distant memory that I don't have to confront very often. 
Um, and so when talking to you, um, part of me cringes thinking about who I was and how I acted back then. Part of me uh, like chuckles and likes it as well, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it as well. It's good to catch up with you as well. Yeah, well, no, I mean, cringy for me too, because I remember too, I, I, um, I, I had that conversation around the website that I found and I'm like, I have probably had zero tact and like, just was just, uh, I hope, I hope too, like in hindsight, I was like, I hope that I didn't come across mean, like I was just deeply curious around, around, you yeah. know, this new faith that I'd never heard about. So um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about your journey and where you, where you've been and where you are now and, and we'll go from sure. there. Yeah, well, I'm thinking let's start with uh, me moving to Kentucky. It's yeah. not the first thing chronologically, but since you brought up the Mormonism in a nutshell article <laughs> and um, all of that, um, yeah, like we can talk, we can start there. Um, so uh, before I moved to Kentucky, I lived in Utah with my family, so the heartland Mormonism, and um, we moved to Kentucky. And because of that LDS or Mormon temple that was built in Crestwood, um, my family moved there. And there was a pretty large, like relatively speaking for Kentucky, a pretty large Mormon population in that uh, area. I think Briar Hill, I think maybe. Um, and we called it Mormon Hill sometimes because there were so <laughs> many Mormons there. Um, and it was... Uh, Part of the reason that my family chose uh, there was that um, it was just outside of Jefferson County. Um, and at the time, um, Jefferson County was doing mandatory busing for desegregation or something like that. Um, and so this was actually overturned in the Supreme Court of the United States a few years later. This was one of the last places where there was mandatory busing still happening in the United States. But for my mom, she really, really did not want to do mandatory busing. She wanted to choose the school. She wanted to choose the best school possible. It was the most important criteria. And so we left the whole county um, and uh, yeah, went some little white flight to uh, Crestwood, Kentucky, to the suburbs and uh, like sort of more rural area right near the temple, found like a Mormon, uh, like population there. And then I started going 10th to 12th grade there. And the way that I remember the Mormonism in the nutshell, and I'd be curious to hear yours as your perspective on it as well. So I think it was in history class in Mr. Effingham's history class in 10th grade, world history. Um, not sure if I'm getting that confused, but. I, I uh, was actually in Miss Reedy's <laughs> class in a writing class, I think like um, English class or something. I think. Oh, what was her name? Miss Reedy. Miss Reedy. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't remember her. Um, but yeah, so I remember you bringing that up. And my experience was like to that point was I had like no friends, right? And I wasn't the most popular kid in Utah, but I did have a friend group. And um, I was like really just trying to fit in. But then I had the like extra weirdness of like, uh, I'm. I've been in this like fully Mormon place. South Jordan, Utah was the most Mormon city by population percentage in the world or something like that. Wow. And that's where I came from. 
Um, and so I'm going to Kentucky and there's some people with some accents. We've got a lot of like uh, <laughs> Southeast Christian and like uh, Baptist and stuff like that. And um, so like the, yeah, there's a little bit of like an us versus them mindset that's built into Mormonism. And so I was, I had been living amongst the us and I moved into the them. <laughs> and uh, so I, th that was like, making it more difficult for me to become friends with people and fit in because I was like really intense about like I wanted to be friends with other Mormon people or like uh, yeah I was like hesitant or resistant to like opening up to to other people and yeah when you when you shared that uh, article um, I felt attacked um, I didn't know if it was directed at me or not but regardless I was like oh no because it was honestly probably a pretty factually accurate um article but you know within a religion you want to present things under your own terms you want to like carefully articulate it so that it sounds as excuse me as good as possible and so for me I felt like oh no they're, they're like sharing all of these things that are like not important for this ultimate truth that is Mormonism <laughs> no, like I think like I just um I don't remember having any like motivation to convert or challenge, but more just to understand. But that lens could still be tainted now. Like I have no idea, you know, I just I think I just felt so curious because as you're talking about, you know, you lived in such an an area that was before that predominantly Mormon. I come from an area that's predominantly Protestant, like, and Southern Baptist, Catholic, that kind of thing. And so I just had never really had conversations with anyone who believed differently, not really, um, not openly. And so, um, but yeah, it's definitely cringy <laughs> to think about it because I like I said um just I think I think I think knowing more too about how personal uh people feel about their faith now um, just just a lot of our identity is there and I think I think too um I don't know I I feel very childlike when I think back on it not malicious but I'm <laughs> I, I I can be a strong personality, so <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I so like my my perspective on it is that at the time both of us were engaged in a pretty intense religious situation, different ways. Yes. Um, I don't know as much about your situation and story as I do about my own, but for me, like there's just a strong level of dogma, a strong level of believing that I was right strong level of like this is the one true church the protestants are wrong um and i it's it's pretty silly when you think about it but when you're in the mindset um when you're in the mindset of that like uh yeah um I, it's funny because i now think that like christians should probably just band together rather than fight within because <laughs> the world is becoming increasingly secular <laughs> And so if, uh, you know, like Protestants for like different Protestants or Protestants versus Catholics or Orthodox 
or you know mormons some people consider mormons to be christian other people don't but like there's a lot of infighting and i think that that made sense 200 years ago when you dominated the western hemisphere but now that the world is becoming more secular it almost sounds silly to me like why are you even bothering like you're, you've lost the battle with a lot of other um you know like a lot of people are becoming less and less religious in the united states and other places but. yeah i think i do think uh, a bigger piece of that too is and in, in talking about that dogma yes dogma especially in the southern baptist church is huge um because you're taught how to defend your faith um and you use the religious scriptures of that faith to defend faith and i think I think in my adulthood now, I look back at it and I, I think how um, there's a lot of entitlement there, but I think a lot of it's led by fear. And I don't think that fear is compelling long-term. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot too, is that people, people were taught how to defend something, not that they truly believed in, but something that they were taught to believe in as the truth the capital T truth, so that they wouldn't end up somewhere they didn't want to be in eternity, which for me, on a personal level, you and I talked about this some in our messages before we recorded, but eternity has never been something that's really been on my mind, which might be interesting to know because I profess to be a Christian. I still think I'm a Christian in some ways, but I'm still fleshing a lot of that out for myself. And so, um, because to me, it's always been like, well, what is the point of being here in life if we're just here to get to another place? And, and I felt like the message of the gospel, the, you know, the truth, or that's what we called it in Southern Baptist tradition, the gospel, the Bible, uh, the message of Jesus was more about being love and loved by, by, by God and loving each other. And that's not something I felt like was being really represented well. Um, because I feel like a lot of that fear and a lot of that, everyone getting into their own corner to defend the nuanced way of why their belief is better or right or more right um is just not conducive <laughs> yeah i think it's silly um i for me like the 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 capital t truth is such a huge part of religious dogma and within mormonism um it definitely is the case and so there's the south park episode um that uh, where people everyone dies then they go to heaven when they wake up they're like which religion was right and the angel or god says it was the mormons and then they're like oh darn it like <laughs> <laughs> i picked the wrong one on earth so for me it's not that like that's not that the mormons were the right one in the south park episode the point is that it's so arbitrary or that it's so like uh exclusive like uh mm -hmm. that god would you would wake up in another life and then god would just be like oh sorry like uh your views on the trinity were not exactly what i thought they should be um like to me that sounds a little silly when life is such a complex beautiful painful like it's a 
like the yeah the process of living life now um, is so much more <laughs> than uh, the the dogma that is associated with it, and so yeah I like one of the things now so I guess we didn't get into my story a ton but the the spoiler is that I you know of course left the the Mormon religion, um, but uh, so for me now when I think about like all of that intense dogma, I'm still very much Mormon in a lot of ways. Like they trained in me ways of thinking and there still is like a strong right or wrong, um, like, or more right or fully right. Like there's still the call to for absolute morality and stuff. Like there's, um, there's some really intense beliefs that you do not just get rid of uh, when you, excuse me, when you denounce a religion or when you leave a religion, you're still that. And so I've realized that within me that, uh, yeah, there's still, there still is that. It's one of the parts that bothers me the most. I guess I'll, I'll get into my story a, a little bit here. Um, I, I grew up with my dad as the bishop. The bishop is um, like sort of a pastor in Protestant vernacular, I think is the more equivalent term. Uh, bishop, at least in Catholicism, is a pretty high position. Um, within Mormonism, bishop is just over a single congregation. Um, but that's still a big, pretty big deal. Uh, my dad was a bishop, and um, my mom ended up being Relief Society president, and that's the highest position that women can hold uh, within Mormonism. It's very patriarchal. Women can't hold a lot of positions, so that's the one that you can have. Shocker. <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> yeah patriarchy strikes again uh not 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 too surprising within mormonism uh or the but, world for that matter <laughs> yeah but um yeah so i grew up uh, with a full literal belief in mormonism which is how it is taught to you and uh, nowadays uh because things don't actually make sense they're moving towards more of a symbolic interpretation of a lot of things. But the traditional Mormonism is the world is 7,000 years old. All of the Bible stories are literally 100% true. The flood happened exactly as it said, the creation of the earth and Adam and things. Um, one of my like great uncles was fired from BYU, the Mormon university. Uh, for teaching evolution in the early 1900s. Um, and so now, now like we're in like a transition phase as Mormons where like you can't hold on to some of those literalist uh, viewpoints. But uh, that's, that's like the mindset that I grew up in. And one of the big concepts within Mormonism is a testimony. And the testimony is the thing that lets you know that Mormonism is the absolute truth and that no one else is true except Mormonism. And it's a huge, it's a huge focus uh, within Mormonism. And I had some early experiences in my life uh, that I now view as sort of exploitative, um, where I had like either painful experiences or spiritual experiences that I feel were then weaponized against me um, to convince me that Mormonism is true. 
And um, if you'd like, I can share, I can share one or two of them. But to me, yeah. that's like the genesis of my Mormonism is like, there was no choice, of course. I mean, my dad was a bishop, but like, for me personally, those testimony building experiences were the genesis. Yeah, no, I would love to hear <laughs> I, whatever you want to share. Like, I'm open to it. I'm, and I'm fascinated by it. I, I don't think I knew. I didn't know that your dad was, was a, a bishop. I don't think I knew that growing up, but that makes sense. My dad was a pastor congregation. So that's interesting too, because that's a parallel I didn't know that we had. Yeah, when when we moved to Kentucky, so when you're when you're called by God to be a bishop, um, you you hold that title forever, but you don't have to actually do it forever. And so he was a bishop when we lived in Las Vegas, and that was in my early childhood. By the time that even we had moved to Utah, he was no longer like in the office of bishop, um, but like a, sort of as like a lifelong honor or whatever. Um, but yeah, I didn't know that your dad was a pastor either. Um, makes sense. But, um, so the, um, the testimony building experience, one of my very first ones was, I was somewhere around five to seven years old. And um, I went to the Boys and Girls Club, um, a gym that uh, had basketball leagues. And my sister was in the basketball team my mom was the coach and this was like a carpool situation where my mom like picked up five other teammates of my sisters and took them to the boys and girls club in our big white suburban van thing um and uh so i i come from a family with five kids you know mormons are stereotypically have a lot of kids five is a lot nowadays but from from my family's perspective back then that wasn't that a lot that much like nine was a lot <laughs> um but we still had the big van and we we went to boys and girls club and uh after the game my mom was like trying to um corral all of these kids to go back into the big van and i told her that i was going to get a drink from the drinking fountain and um I thought that she heard me and understood. Maybe she did, I don't know. But I went and got a drink and when I came back, she had left. Um, and so I was alone as like a five to seven year old at this gym and was absolutely terrified, was really losing it. Um, and in my head, I guess like in the, in the mind of a child, um, I was like, I don't like they might be gone, like, or you don't, you don't know if it's if they're going to come back. <laughs> um, and so I was really sad. <laughs> and so I start pacing around the gym, um, go, walking in circles, because if I stood still, I thought I would cry. And I didn't want to cry. Um, both because I was, you know, wanted to be a strong boy, but also because I didn't want other people to see me and, and get concerned. I didn't want people to talk to me. Um, so I just start walking around in circles and I go like maybe five or 10 circles, um, around the entire gym. And I remember my, my church training, which is to pray, um, when something bad happens like this. And so somehow, even at this very young age, I believed it was my fault that uh, I had been left, uh, by my mom. I had this belief that my family was very good. Um, and that I was sort of the 
evil one in the family or something. And so it wasn't my mom's fault that she had left me. And like looking from an adult lens, like uh, it feels so different, right? Like, of course she left me. Like uh, the, you know, this was a chaotic situation. She forgot, she immediately remembered and came back and got me. That's the end of the story. But the the point is like, as a, as a child, none of this is like, I'm like, this is the end of the world here. And so um, I start praying and in my prayer, I'm pleading with God like, please just like, let me go back to my family. <laughs> mm. um, and like, I want to see my mom, my siblings. And I felt like I had to bargain with God. So I felt like I will give up. I have to give up things in order for God to hear my prayer, to sacrifice. And so I was like, I will read the Book of Mormon every day. I will pray every day. I'm going to double down um, on this. By this time, I already had memorized the 13 articles of faith within mormonism at like the age of four or something like the indoctrination wow. was just really intense um and so like i it was not like i was rogue like i was <laughs> fully in mormonism and like going going hard with it but i felt somehow that it was inadequate my my effort was inadequate yeah. And so I'm like bargaining. I felt like I was this big sinner. I felt like I needed to repent. So it turns into a repentance prayer. Um, and right after the prayer, I keep on walking around and I see Brother Lords. And Brother Lords is um, the, I think, second counselor in the bishopric um, in uh, my ward, my home ward. So this is my congregation. He's one of the top three leaders of the congregation. And his son, Nick, um, I think is Nick, or Adam, he's Nick. The dad is Nick and the son is Adam, um, was playing basketball. So that's why Brother Lords was there. Um, so I'm like, oh, I can't let Adam see me crying. So I like tried to be brave. And then I go up and talk to him and he was a dentist and he had a cell phone and this was in the mid nineties. And so having a cell phone was like a little bit special. Um, so he called, he called my, uh, my home phone and my mom and dad were like, they answered and they were like, oh yes, like we're coming to get him. And then they came and got me, but I used that experience for decades. I think two decades as like a foundational piece of why Mormonism was true. <laughs> um, because God heard my prayer. God, uh, like right after that prayer, I found Brother Lords, uh, a member of the church, uh, like clergy. Um, and he was able to reconnect me with my mom. And so I felt like God had heard my prayer. And I did double down. And I had several more experiences throughout my life. But I recently have been thinking about that one as like, I was so young uh, yeah. to be feeling such levels of shame, to feel like I had to bargain with God. And to feel like um, like this was convincing evidence that Mormonism was true. Yeah. Well, something that you shared with me that surprised me, going back to shame, because when we look at the dogma of religion and um, something you talked about, which I didn't know, I, I really don't know a lot about the Mormon faith still. I really don't. Um, something that you said is like when you have a family member who walks away from Mormonism 
then your your family as a whole can't be together in heaven. Am I remembering that correctly? You're yeah, you're on the right track. Mormons would probably like nuance the words that you're saying, but you're what you're saying is basically correct. <laughs> How would they nuance them? I'm curious. Oh, so well, okay. I find this doctrine is so absurd looking back now, but Mormons believe that they they present this as this like really good thing, the compelling reason why one would want to be a Mormon. And it's that they believe that if you do not participate in specific ceremonies and ordinances, that you will not be with your family in the next life. No one else seems to believe this. Like, uh, I was later a Mormon missionary knocking doors and wearing white shirt and stuff. And like, I had this belief, I was like, we're like teaching this wonderful thing. Everyone already believes that like any God worth believing in is not going to separate you from your family. <laughs> um, but uh, Mormons think that that's the default position um, and that you have to participate in an ordinance called the sealing ordinance in order to, um, in order to be together again in heaven. And this, um, you can only be together in the highest heaven which is the celestial kingdom. They have three different levels of heaven. And then even within the celestial kingdom, they have three more levels. The top level of that one is called exaltation. And so the idea is like, you can all be together, but only if you're exalted in the celestial kingdom. Um, if you're chilling in one of the other kingdoms, it's really unclear whether you're gonna be together. And so me, by leaving the church, um, I have broken my covenant and I'm no longer going to be exalted in the celestial kingdom. And so now I won't be able to live in the same place as my family, according to Mormonism, like in the afterlife, like they'll be like on, you know, like the good heaven, and then I'll be in, basically, I might be in hell, they do have a hell, and I leaving the church is like the only thing that can make you go to there. Killing someone doesn't, but leaving the church does. Wow. So I might be in, I might be in hell. Um, but if I'm not in hell, I'll be in like a hell like heaven separated from my family and they they believe this is like this great doctrine <laughs> that's crazy well it's not crazy i i, I don't <laughs> it, it it's it sounds um very mm, calculated <laughs> to keep people uh indoctrinated so um because yeah there's just a lot of things too um around around my own upbringing too or watching people propose um you know love everyone love everyone and all people and that not being not being especially politically not being something that is um celebrated right we pick and choose <laughs> and so and that's just humanity I, I I don't expect them to be perfect in that but I do think people who um claim to be so devout that's interesting to me um to be so flippant at times with uh, respecting other people if that makes sense yeah um, for yeah what you're saying like if I'm picking up on what you're saying like what you're alluding to with how like in the political world religious people don't love each other <laughs> yes. um, 
like that actually contributed to me leaving Mormonism. The, the 2016 election with Trump um, was near the end of my time in Mormonism and the hypocrisy, the blatant hypocrisy of, um, so Mormons use the term Christ-like uh, a lot to describe what you should be like. And um, like Trump was not Christ-like, his followers were not Christ-like, but Mormons fell into line because like Republican party uh, is the default state for Mormons. And for me, it just didn't sit well. I was like, have a backbone. Like, um, you know, by, by that point in my life, I was a lot less conservative politically, but even I felt like, and I don't know if this is true, but I felt like I was like, even if you're a conservative political person and you see Trump, cause he was like, it just didn't seem like that was love. It didn't seem like that was Christ. Like, um, yeah, you know, he, he's like saying like grab women by the pussy like he's saying like stuff like that, grab him by the pussy, that like so offensive. And I was like, this is like the morals that Christians believe in. This is like, don't, you know, like sex. That's like the number one controlled thing in a lot of religions. Um, and Trump is definitely having affairs, definitely lots of divorces, lots of sexual assaults and accusations and stuff. And so I thought for sure that like people, that that would not, uh, like work and yet like with in Utah there was a poll at the time that had Trump not in the lead um and this was a huge deal Utah is always Republican um ever since the government stopped persecuting Mormons we've we've supported the government by being <laughs> Republican <laughs> and so in the 1800s Mormons were Democrats or like more liberal left a uh, little bit sometimes at certain moments but then for the majority it's been conservative and um so there was like this sort of excitement of like could we become a battleground the answer is no of course it's utah and like no but uh there was one poll that made it seem like maybe and so the republican party spent like a million dollars and then the next poll showed that Trump was doubling Hillary Clinton and there was a third party Mormon candidate that people were into at the time. But watching, watching Utah fall into line and knowing that it was the Mormons um, that made that happen was actually a really disturbing part of me because like, I think it's just the hypocrisy uh, for me. Like uh, you can't say out of one side of your mouth that you are like trying to follow like Christian love one another, Jesus Christ. And then out of the other one, you are engaging in hate, like uh, hate and bigotry and stuff like that. Um, yeah, uh, like I felt like that transcended, like, uh, you know, like immigration was Trump's big thing. Like, I'm not talking about an immigration policy. I'm talking about like basic don't, don't, have hatred like that like don't be that awful and it that was part of me leaving was that <laughs> yeah I I really um I don't follow politics a whole lot um to me it seems kind of strapped at there's gonna come a point too where I I don't know I've got to educate myself more but I think just on a like a basic line of even policy which I don't know anything about 
for me, it came down more to about leadership. And Trump was not a leader that I wanted to align myself with. And for, I mean, there weren't very many, there aren't very many people who present themselves in politics that I'm like, yeah, you can, I, I trust you. And I think that you're a good leader. Um, and, and I, I have a hard, um, or I have a high bar for that, I guess. And I get, um, I don't know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I feel like too, a lot of this, uh, breaking down in, in the dogma, in the realm of spirituality, in the realm of politics, a lot of things that are going on in America, I think will ultimately lead to good things. I think they have to be broken in order to heal in a lot of ways. And I don't have the prescription for that, but to, to see some of these things play out, right? Things that you th- you th- you're like, are we living in a movie? Is this a movie? I, it has to be a movie. Is this real life? It can't be real life. Yeah. Um, it's uh yeah so I'm interested to hear more your optimism there because I don't have the same optimism about dogma and like extreme dogma and polarization um I don't have an optimism that that will result in something better by default I think it can but I don't think that it naturally leads to something better so I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are there so I, I think just as a whole, um, cause we're living in, living in such a place. I think that America is still very much just young, just very young. And we don't understand the full scope of our history in that dogma either. Um, I think as I was beginning to question a lot of my faith, I was losing a lot of that hope because I felt so confined by, um, and I can't even properly articulate this yet. This is more um, like, I think when we're dealing things, at least for me in spirituality, things that happen almost as an intuition have to, they start forming for me as an intuition. And I have to figure out how to find frameworks to explain what I'm even going through. And so when I started like questioning, is there hell? Like, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is there, um, is, was Jesus who he said he was? Um, do I even believe the proponents of the Christian faith? All these things. Um, thinking about that and thinking about the world I came out of, questioning those kinds of things in the Protestant faith is, is damning very quite literally if you don't profess Jesus as your savior you will go to hell so to me it felt I felt like um my whole identity had been so steeped in this and like my dad's not only a pastor my my mom's dad was also a pastor and so on both sides actually there's lots of clergy and so coming from those lines of these very conservative Southern Baptist faith traditions, um, feeling like no one would understand or understand like what I'm even thinking. And also I was told from a young age, like people are looking at you and your example, mm-hmm. and it's important for you to set an example 
and um, and to not mislead people by being a bad example. And so that kept me out of a lot of trouble in some good ways because I didn't dabble in drugs and those kinds of things or, or, or any of that when I was younger. Not to say that I do a lot of that now, I might. Um, but just to say, you know, there are a lot of that first kind of cognition that was going on, I felt like my life was ending. And it was, it is in some ways. I can't ever go back to the person that I was. And in some ways that's really, really great. And in some ways um, I still miss some of that innocence, right? Of like, just being like, I wish it was so simple. I wish it was as simple as I thought it was. So my- you, Oh, you sorry, go ahead. Well, you asked, I think, Joel, my optimism is there because that's just who I am. Like, I can't, I can't, um, I see so much good in people. Yes, we have, we have a real potential for some really harmful things. Um, but I do believe that the baseline is just good. Like, I do think that. And I think um, as I have explored more of like how I'm feeling and having intersections with different teachers and like podcasts, like the Deconstructionist podcast for me, and I, I know I mentioned to you Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan friar. He comes from a Catholic kind of background. Hearing some, hearing people think differently and hearing people verbalize things that I have intuited on my own has been very uh, comforting because no one told me to believe that. It's just something that I'm like, oh, you're verbalizing how I felt and I didn't even have the words, but that's exactly it, if that makes sense. And I, I think like when you look at the world, even on like a, a very molecular level, we are made for more life. Like life begets life begets life. It, we're made to multiply, like to heal, to find that healing, to find a way forward that to me um and then also to looking at so one of the reasons and you didn't ask me this but another another proponent of that hope is also because I see so many things um that do remind me of some of the Christian faith and how it's taught about relationship I see that reflected in like our ability to bear children to be able to experience that bond, to have relationship with each other. When we don't have that relationship, we suffer. And not always are those relationships healthy, um, but I do think that we've been given different gifting and different ways of seeing the world to bring that healing and to bring that hope, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So my optimism, and, and I like, <laughs> and this may be something too, um, like, I don't, are you familiar with the Enneagram at all? No. Okay. So the Enneagram is, um, it's a typing tool personality. I don't even like calling that because for me, it's been more a tool and a proponent for growth. And there's basically nine different types. They fall on like a, a circle 
And so you sit next to different numbers, they move towards uh, different numbers in health and disintegration. But for me, it's been a really, really um, powerful tool for growth and like self-recognition. It really has shown me some of my shadow side. And so I'm an eight, which is called a challenger, but I also wing to my neighboring seven, which is called the, um, the enthusiast. And so a lot of undertones happen for me. The, the sevens, the enthusiasts, they like a lot of novelty and fun and they want to have fun and they don't really want to talk about like sad things. Like, mm, don't, don't. And for me, because of the eight basis, which is more of that, well, this is just the truth and the, and the way of those things. I feel like I, I am able to process and sit with other people's pain but when it comes to my own, I'm like, mm, yeah, like, let's not, let's not talk about that together. Like, that's, that's not fun. <laughs> so, so I think there's also that undercurrent there, just to be quite honest, when I'm looking, and it was also the way I was raised. My dad was a seven. And he was, uh, I used to joke with him, because I'm like, you're, you just, you wake up wagging in the morning, like excited for life. Like what new thing are we, what new adventure are we going to have today? You know, so some of that comes from there too. That makes sense. I, as you were talking, I, I have a couple questions for you about various things you were saying. Cause a lot yeah. of it interested me. Um, one of them though is a comment I realized. I think I agree with you that the intense dogma, sort of the cinematic feel of our universe with COVID and the elections and like all of that has been so absurd and all of the dogma associated with that. I do think it's a, an opportunity, a moment for change um, for the, the whole world. Like uh, some things are changing in terms of like work and labor, like the, the markets are shifting, finding labor is a little different um, than it was before the pandemic. There are different expectations about work. That's just one example, but I'm just saying, like, I think people are in, a lot of people are in a moment of potential change and that potential change can result in better. Um, and then another thing I thought of is uh, we're talking about how extreme dogma can actually result in beneficial things. And for me, I thought of, um, so one of the things that Mormonism is really dogmatic about is homosexuality. Um, really dogmatic, more so than most other Christians. Um, like spending many tens of millions of dollars in California for Proposition 8, also spending a ton of money in Hawaii, um, just like really, uh, really leaning into that. And um, the result of that extreme dogma is that me as a straight person, I now feel very passionate about LGBTQ issues on the other side now, though. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so like uh, if they, I guess this is a cynical way of putting it maybe, but if the church wanted me to remain bigoted towards gays, they shouldn't have done what they did, which was make it the main topic. And then just like con continuously bring it up, shove it down my throat. The gays are awful. The gays are awful. The gays are awful. Um, like it, they should have just been like, you're a straight person who doesn't need to think about this. And then I would have remained with my homophobia for a lot longer. 
but by trying to make by trying to dig me deeper into the bigotry they actually pulled me out of it because then i was like wait a second like what why are we like yeah the the arguments i remember asking my parents like what's so wrong with gay marriage uh, before gay marriage was legal and they the argument was like our religious rights are going to be um infringed upon and they made it seem like there were just millions of gay people who were begging to be married by Mormons in the Mormon temple, which is where Mormon weddings happen. And I was like, you're putting yourself, you're, you're, you think you're way more important than you are. Um, yes, there are a lot of gay people within Mormonism who would love that, but like, they're like really worried about anybody who's got a rainbow on their shirt or something or like uh, if you're like participating in queer culture, like if you are a drag queen or something, like for them, if if you like were a drag queen and then you wanted to get married in the Mormon way, that's like a huge infringement violation. I'm like, the drag queens don't want you, Mormonism. Like, <laughs> you need to like get it. Like, that, like this is not like a line of millions of drag queens wanting to go into your temple and degrade your space this is not about you this is about them like they want to, like and so for me as like this is when i was a teenager like that was what i was taught as our religious rights were being infringed upon and that they would be forcing us to be um like marrying drag queens in the temple or something like it was just a really extreme dogmatic kind of argument and it just didn't make sense to me. I, I'm not saying like I was pretty homophobic um, for the majority of my teenage years and early adulthood. Um, so I'm not saying I had like broken through and like uh, made it past that. But I knew consciously that it didn't totally make sense uh, what was going on there. And the cause of it was dogma. Um, <laughs> And the other thing I wanted to, to ask you about and bring up, you mentioned that you were told that you were an example to the world by your, by your father. Um, that really hit home. I, I mean, I was told the exact same. Um, and that pressure changes things a lot. Uh, Mormons use the term ch chosen generation. And uh, they say to every generation of kids you are the chosen generation and they use some like i think book of revelation bible stuff um to talk about like the 11th hour of the like right before midnight like we're the seventh seal 11th hour like we're like right before the second coming ultimately mormonism at least originally mormonism was very much a like waiting for Jesus' second coming which is going to be soon kind of uh apocalyptic cult uh, nowadays, we're a little bit less apocalyptic, but it still is in our DNA. And so I was taught that, like, maybe Jesus is coming in my lifetime, and that I am like, the world is more wicked now than it has ever been. And you are the shining example. You were given this family to grow up in because God trusted you to be this example um, to the rest of the world. You are the chosen generation. And it was awful. <laughs> Um, it was so much pressure. I'm curious to hear how it was phrased to you or what it did to you. <laughs> well, for me, it it was not always verbalized, but it was something like, it, and I talked about this in a podcast um, 
several weeks ago because I was talking to another gal who grew up as a pastor's daughter and I was explaining how I haven't read Michelle Obama's book it's on my shelf but I'd like flipped through it at one point and she was talking about how um when she was in when when they were in the uh presidency how few people knew what that actually looked and felt like that were alive and I was like I I relate to that not on like that level but you know I had people who have asked me growing up like what was it like having a pastor for a father and I'm like well I don't have anything to compare it to this was just my reality so the reality was too knowing or always knowing that people were making um judgments about parenting or our lifestyle based on how we behaved that was the message I got was that like it's not just you that you're making decisions for you are also impacting and like implicating our own leadership if that makes sense and it's only been um and I've talked about this some on the podcast but there and and that goes in it ties into my personality too of that Enneagram eight protector challenger um the eights guard others vulnerability but they forget that they have an innocence themselves and I actually was able to meet part of myself um that I've never met in the relationship I'm currently in because I finally felt safe enough to like let the guard down and to let him in and I feel like I I would I feel like I've learned how to play and relax a little more and to like recognize that I I do I do think that in leadership we have responsibility to the people we lead but not to default in such a way that it's like well they made a decision and that's a direct reflection of my leadership no that's a direct reflection of their own responsibility and their own you know, capability as a human um, and, and recognizing we all have our own intellect. We all have our own, you know, so there was a lot of, uh, and that's still kind of there for me. I still feel at times that I will choose to um, sidestep or diminish parts of myself publicly that I'm like, mm, I'm not sure if people can handle that. I'm not sure if people can um, handle my humanity in this way and still love and accept me and not be led somewhere else, if that makes sense. Yeah, it completely, completely does. I um, feel very much the same about my trajectory in life where it wasn't until I moved to Seattle in 2014 or 15, I think 14, before I really opened up to another human being in an emotionally meaningful and vulnerable way. And it's tragic to me um, because now I find that to be so important. Um, like it turns out that for me, sharing my vulnerable things really does heal. Um, it really does help. And like, People love me more when they know uh, the parts of me that I was a little worried about. But um, 
like for the first 25 ish years of my life, there was this guard up um, <laughs> that I had and there still is now so, like so like now on Twitter, most of the people who follow me follow me for software development related topics. So sometimes I feel weird talking about my religious experiences or spiritual experiences or other political things because I feel like um, they aren't there for that. But I've decided to try to just be a full human being and let the people who want to unfollow me unfollow me. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I completely get that. And one, okay, I gotta share two things. One of them is the term exceptionalism. So exceptionalism is, I think, the thing that I despise most about my upbringing within the Mormon church. Um, it's the belief that you are exceptional. Um, and not exceptional as in like, you're so great that like, like it's, I still felt immense shame. So it wasn't like uh, this carefree exceptionalism. It was this pressure of, of exceptionalism. So I was born in two, or I was born in 1990 to parents that were of pioneer stock, which means that they, they went across the plains with Brigham Young. So like longtime Mormon family. Um, and I was like the product of polygamists, like Parley P. Pratt, and like when Mormons did polygamy and stuff, like I'm like as deep as you can get in terms of Mormon. <laughs> Um, so that's one part of it. But there's also the part that Mormons believe that they're the only true church. So anyone outside of Mormonism is not like maybe has parts of the truth, but doesn't have the full truth and that the priesthood only exists within Mormonism. And so any baptism that occurs outside of Mormonism is invalid. And that only Mormonism has the priesthood authority to be able to administer God's church on the planet. And so I'm already really special for having been born in my family um, in that way. But then it goes further. I'm the chosen generation. Jesus is coming in like 10 years. Additionally, Mormons assign you to a tribe of Israel. This is a really weird part of Mormonism that is, that's a little distinctive. Um, but Mormons think that they're actually Jews, sort of. So they, they do this fortune teller thing where they tell you which tribe of Israel you're part of. It's like I don't know, tarot cards or astrology or something. And I'm of the tribe of Ephraim, which is the leaders. It's the white people. Uh, there's a racist part of it. So the white people are always the leaders. So I'm, I'm white, I'm straight, I'm a man, I'm in a rich family. I'm in Utah, the, the home of the only true church. I'm in 1990s is when I'm born, which is like, uh, you know, right before the second coming. So there was this huge belief, um, huge belief that I was special, but it made, it just applied pressure to me more than anything else. It made me feel like I could only let someone down. <laughs> um, it didn't empower me. Um, the other, this switching topics again, but this is a humor on a humorous note. Um, the apocalyptic uh, kind of feel of uh, a lot of Christian religions, but all, uh, particularly Mormonism. Uh, I, I, I like chuckling. I think of there's an Office episode, um, episode of The Office, um, where it's a movie um, where Michael Scott has written a movie for years, the script, 
And then this episode is that they just play the movie. So it's not in the office. They're not doing their normal things. Michael Scott is like a James Bond character and he's going around with the gun and like saving the day. And if I remember it correctly, I think that the name of the movie is called Operation Midnight or something like that, mm-hmm. or like Stress Level Midnight or something like that. There's something related to Midnight and like Stress Level Midnight, Operation Midnight. And it's, it's uh, the absurdity is funny when you're watching the TV show, but it made me think of my own life is like, uh, I was Stress Level Midnight for my whole upbringing. Like this, Jesus is coming, like we're like, uh, it was like there's no time to waste there's no room for mistakes um this is the most important thing so I lived in stress level midnight with Michael Scott (laughs) (laughs) that's intense for for much of my for much of my life well you have the intensity of so much of of the beliefs and so (laughs) much um every time every time you and I have talked through the years and even now something that stands out to me about Mormonism is there's so many rules. Like there are so many rules. And I, yeah. I, um, I don't, um, the, I, ha, the, the pressure to, to keep, to keep all of those things um, feels like daunting to me. And I didn't even have to live through that. Yeah, I, so like with my therapist, he asked me to put together a list of family rules that were not Mormon, uh, that were just sort of inspired by Mormonism. So there's like, I I did live with so many rules, many of them Mormon related, but some of them just my family. And it was really intense. Um, So we, we weren't allowed to watch Rugrats or Muppets because they weren't good content. Like, uh, the sort of Christian obsession with filtering content so that your children don't get spoiled by the world, um, like was really strong <laughs> uh, in my family to the point where Rugrats and Muppets, also the TV show Home Improvement, uh, was not allowed. Um, where in the world is Carmen San Diego was on the border of allowed or not allowed. Arthur was allowed, the PBS animated Arthur TV show. But like, there, so like my life was a constant negotiation of good, better, best. That's a talk within Mormonism of just trying to find the absolute best, like not something that's good, not something that's better, but something that is the best. And so it's a, it's, it's always upping the ante. There's never a moment of relaxation. Um, It's always more and more intense. And at least for, that was my experience with it. And for me, the culmination, like the reason why I left Mormonism, I think, um, like the the core root reason is what they did to me with regards to sexuality. Um, Like the way, the level of shame that I felt uh, related to sexuality absolutely destroyed me, pushed me towards suicidal intent many times. just general mental health problems for many years. Um, I believed myself to be a pedophile, having never had pedophilia or pedophilic feelings or however you say that. Like I'm not attracted to children, but I believed that I was a sexual predator, that I um, would sexually assault girls or women if I 
did not like really intensely control myself. I believe that male sexuality was so out of control that if I kissed a woman, if I kissed a girl, I mean, this is when I was a teenager. So if I kissed a girl um, that I would like just be overcome with sexual desire to the point where I would sexually assault her. And so I didn't kiss a girl into my twenties. Mm. Um, all the way through high school and all the way through college, I did not kiss a girl because I believed I was so evil. And a lot of it was because I would masturbate and look at porn. And for Mormons, that that's the worst sin you can commit besides murder is sexual sin. And they tell you this. Um, and so I believed myself to be like almost as bad as a murderer for having masturbated. Um, and uh, I went to like many like 12 step recovery sex addiction programs for pornography and masturbation, spent thousands of dollars on therapy for it, just trying to erase my sexuality. Um, and there was no room for healthy sexuality, of course, as an unmarried uh, Mormon person, you cannot have sex. Um, and there's no outlet of sexual expression. And so that like, the yeah, that was enough for me to eventually after a long time to realize that like um i guess for me you you mentioned your faith like sort of crisis a little bit um that's the term that mormons use at least is faith crisis but uh, for me in that faith crisis i felt like i was choosing to stay alive or to be mormon mm. that's what i felt like the choice came down to wow. um because I was deeply suicidal, deeply. Um, and uh, I couldn't continue within Mormonism. And I chose my own life, my own health. <laughs> now, I'm a bit of a dramatic person. Maybe I would have made it for a while longer. Maybe I would never would have committed suicide. But I just felt like after many years of suicidal ideation, that like I had to make a change. And um, yeah, there was nothing left afterwards. I didn't feel like I had an identity. What was my identity? I was a pioneer stock, exceptional Ephraim, tribe of Ephraim, chosen generation. Like there was nothing left. My All my friends, all my family, I was living in fucking Utah. Yeah. Um, like, uh, how do you, like, where do you even go? And I, so some of the old thoughts still came back. I thought that like, if I let myself date women and maybe have sex with them, that I would go on this big rampage and become still a sexual predator. Or that if I like tried marijuana, that I would become this big druggie or that Mormons can't even drink out al uh, alcohol or coffee or tea. And so I was like really hesitant about trying coffee. I remember the first time I tried coffee as a 26 year old or something. Um, and uh, like all of those things, like I, I felt like I, there just wasn't anything left um in like who was I if not Mormon like there's nothing left and um it was completely para like it that threw me into a whole dark period of my life as well just not having an identity um but that only lasted for me for like a couple months and then I slowly started coming out of it and then had one of the best periods of my life afterwards where for the very first time I was relaxing <laughs> I was um like choosing things that I wanted rather than things that I was supposed to do um I was 
letting myself exist, letting myself live, letting myself make mistakes. And um, yeah, the um, like for me, I think it's the intensity. Uh, like it was always ratcheting up the intensity, always, always, always. And uh, eventually that boiled over. Um, <laughs> and uh, like now what I enjoy in life is calm. It's so I was telling you over Facebook that um, meditation, I, I love meditation. I love calm. I do a lot to just do nothing. Like I, I like clear space in my life to just be there, to just exist. Um, because for much of my life, it was so intense and go, 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 go. Um, that uh, like now it's just like chill out a bit and it, it's a lot better. <laughs> yes. Well, I relate. I, I do. I deeply relate to a lot of that pressure. Um, I was just telling someone yesterday, um, they were requesting some time with me. And I was like, honestly, I don't have a ton going on, but I, I need more margin. I need more space um, right now. And I was like, and that's conflicting for me to tell you because I have always been a proponent for being very active and very engaged. And right now I've just felt very protective over that. And, and, and like in, in, a, in a very good and healthy way, but it's definitely different from how I've lived most of my life. <laughs> and uh, even carving out margin um, is kind of foreign. Like when I think about what was modeled too for me um you talked about pressure one of the things that I felt pressured for is like well I could die and I still haven't lived out what I needed to do here like and I still and I think some of that I don't think some of that's from dogma I really do like like I said I see a lot of I see a lot of intention in our world and I do think it speaks a lot to having a, a creator a designer and so I have come to really believe, I think that like the desires of who we are um, at our core are like blueprints almost dropped in. And that when we're feeling that knowing that pull um, that that's meant for us and discerning, having discernment, being able to really sit with it. And I think, I think one of the big things that has driven me crazy about religious dogma and even our culture, uh, such consumeristic culture, is that we are taught that you can't trust yourself. You can't trust um, your desire. You can't trust um, your, your own intuition. That needs to be uh, stamped out or bought somewhere else or um, completely delegated to someone else who is more worthy than you to figure it out. And so one of the things that, that I have become like fastidious in is like really helping people reconnect with themselves because I think there's been a lot that's been lost. Um, we don't connect with the earth. We don't touch the earth. We're so in our, our cubicles and our bubbles and our, um, our busyness that we are we're losing the relationship with um with the earth with each other 
with, you know, talking about camping out and, and guarding our borders around, well, this is the right way to believe and this is, this is the right way to go. And so all of those things. And, and so for me, it's been very much around exploring um, what I said to you too, that like, one of the things that shifted, not shifted for me, because I think it, it's always the way that I felt, is a lot of Southern Baptist teaching is that um, humans are sinful. They are decrepit, like, and they cannot, like, they're, you, you just, there's nothing good about humanity. And to me, I'm like, well, then what's the point? Like, what is the point? And so I spoke of Richard Rohr earlier. He was talking about how a lot of Protestant faiths start in Genesis 3 with judgment instead of in Genesis 1, where it talks about it was good. It was good. And then when he got to people, it was very good. And so reconciling to where we went off the rails, where did this begin this stamping out of individuality, expressing sexuality, um, having the freedom to experience desire and, and even um, how do you build a relationship with trust? I had a, I had a very um, back and forth recently with somebody who I grew up with. Um, he was a close friend of mine in high school, and I think he's a pastor now. Um, and he had, he didn't like the way I was phrasing something. And ultimately he was talking about how we can't be trusted. Humans can't be trusted. So that same line. And like, the thing about it is, well, our very conception of God, of deity, of dogma, all of it begins with self. Like <laughs> we create the knowledge first. So like, there has to be a, some kind of I don't know. That seems to me like there's such a big disconnect that happens um, in all of this discussion where it's a denial of self. But if you don't reconcile with yourself, how can you ever really know what's true? You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, I completely 100% agree. Um, like that, I think it's, I consider myself hypersensitive to people telling other people not to trust themselves. <laughs> I, it, it like triggers some trauma within me um, when, that, when I see that or, or uh, hear that happening because of how deeply I feel like I violated my own self. Um, like uh, here's a good scripture from the Book of Mormon. Uh, this was a scripture mastery, which is a whole thing. It's one that I memorized. Mosiah 3, I think it's 19, for the natural man is an enemy to God and has been um, forever and ever and will be forever and ever unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit um, and put off the natural man and becometh the saint through Jesus Christ or something like that. The, that's not exactly word for word, but it's pretty close. Mm. The natural man is an enemy to God. That is at the core of, I think, a a lot of Christianity, but within Mormonism, it's written down. Um, I think the Bible has plenty of examples too, but uh, the repentance, the sin, the all of that, 
I felt like I was, as a Mormon, trying to do brain surgery on myself, basically. Um, I was like, whatever I am is bad. <laughs> and so I'm trying to like cut out whatever part of my brain is bad and replace it with some Christ-like brain or something. Like I was trying to change who I was um, in like an invasive, incisive way, like a surgical way almost of uh, trying to change that. And so now I completely think that I am trustworthy <laughs> um, and that uh, I can like just choose for myself what's going on. Um, the uh, Any group that starts off by um, saying like, yield your personal intuition to someone or something else is something that I just can't be part of. And so I think for that reason, I'm no, I'm atheist. So I'm not even Christian anymore. Uh, I don't think, I don't have a problem with you or anyone else being a Christian. I don't think that I'm necessarily right or anything, but uh, for me, like I, like the Christian God, I have to yield my, who I am to uh, some deity that appears to be just like murdering people in the bible and stuff you know like i'm not even confident that this entity is good um but like uh for me like i had to i had to relinquish belief in god because the belief in god is always then followed up with um well here's the person who spoke to god here's the person who knows god and here's what they said so it immediately starts the process of like self-betrayal again, where like, you can't trust yourself to be the conduit to God. You have to go to other things. And so I think, I think there's a, a lot of people who experience spirituality, a lot of Christians who experience spirituality in a way that's really different from anything I've experienced with it. Because um, for me, it was always, there is God and here is the person that you go to, to learn about it. It was never, here is God, and you are the person <laughs> um, who, like, goes to learn about it. Um, and so I've just sort of, I, I'm, I'm just sort of in the camp of, like, uh, are, like, you're saying that you know better than me. You might, uh, but I'm not going to, like, hand over my, because I did that. I handed over my willpower, like, my entire essence over to this group of doctrines and people and stuff. And it was abusive, it just didn't work, it was bad. And so now it's just like, I'm going to sit here as myself and experience the world <laughs> yeah. rather than like finding some group to hand over my identity to. Yeah, you're taking your experience back. And I think that's really powerful and uh, important because, um, and that's a lot of the work that I do with coaching and uh, my specialty is more in mindset. It's the internal sphere um, around different patterns, beliefs, um, and things that may be keeping people bound to, um, to not living life on their terms. And I think, I think that's what has been so interesting to me is, um, again, it's that stamping out of expression, um, 
that I, I, I do think that we're seeing a resurgence of a backlash for of going like, um, no, uh, like I'm going to express it. I'm going to feel how I feel. Um, and, and I, I think there's important conversations here, uh, politically all the way around that, um, are starting to be had because of that. And, and in some ways, um, in some ways, like the, the conversation I was having, I was very with the friend I grew up with, if you ask Serge or a couple of my close friends, I was very activated around it. And I was like, oh, that means that I've got more work to do here. It had less to do with the person, but more around my own reaction and going, okay, well, <laughs> so if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. It does. The the self like denial, the self betrayal, the self like just ignoring yourself. Um so damaging. Like if there is one thing that I could preach to the world, it might be this to not do that. <laughs> to like just like r- respect yourself um enough to do what is good for you. Um and you know what is good for you without. Uh, having other people tell you like uh, I'm not saying that every person will come to the same conclusion not saying that every like I'm just saying like there is a part of you that you can trust and for most uh, maybe all of you you can trust and for most of my life I was trying not to trust myself the the term agency or free agency or free will the thing that is so popular within uh, like religion, like uh, the idea of free will is less popular amongst atheists. Um, but that concept is not practiced whatsoever. Your choice is to obey or disobey. It's never open-ended. Um, for me, like free will, making the choice, it has to be open-ended. Like that's the real choice. Like uh, if you were, if you just sat there and no one told you like it's not a yes or no like that's free will is not a yes or no and uh, for much of my life that's what it was taught to me as is like here is the thing to obey and you're either going to say yes or no to the thing to obey and a lot of the times the things that I said yes to were fine a lot of the times there were things that like really ate at my soul they really ate who I was, I didn't want to do them. I didn't like doing them. They caused me pain. They were uncomfortable. And then I was told, well, it's sacrifice. And uh, like, you just need to cause yourself pain intentionally and then call it good, uh, which is what sacrifice sort of is. Um, And so I'm not like, for me, I just like backed all the way away from uh, that kind of mindset and just saying like, I am going to make my own choices. Um, There will not be another entity that even gets to do the yes, no thing to me where like, they're like, here's the thing, you can choose whether to follow it or not. That to me, that's still too much. For me, it is, I am making choices. There is no other entity that is controlling it. Cause it's just been like the, the tracks in my mind have just been abused too much for me to not do that anymore. Like I will not hand that over to someone else 
because the road has like in my mind has been traveled and it leads to a bad destination yes um, even with good intentions like the like almost everyone has good intentions um it's, it has nothing to do with intentions it doesn't even have to do with whether they're right or not it's just about like so basically what i'm saying is like i don't take advice from ever, anyone maybe that's not really what i'm saying like i do i do take input from other people but if i sense any level of persuasion or manipulation i'm hypersensitive to it now where it's like no 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 like we're going to back up and then i'm going to look at myself and make a decision because any any group or any like a book, a group, a person, like anything that is trying to restructure this choice. Like, I don't, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> well, and rightfully so, um, I have to go pick up um, Sergio's kiddo, but I want to say one thing to you. And then also maybe we could do another episode, Joel. I want to really talk more to you about the impact. You did talk about the suicidal ideation, but I would love to talk about the meditation piece and those things uh, around that shift. If we could do another episode on that, that would be so cool um, if you're open to it. Sure. And, but the, uh, the piece I wanted to address before we wrap is there was a part in here where you said, I'm a very dramatic person. And then you went on to say something else. And I just kind of want to, um, I want to reflect back to you what I see, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like you're a dramatic person. I feel like you are responding in such a way to a very traumatized and traumatic um, set of life experiences that have you going, I can't, I'm not doing this again. I'm not, there will never be part of me that is subjugated or um, put up under something else that takes my life from me anymore. And I don't think that's dramatic. I think that that's appropriate. Sure. Can there be too far we swing, you know, in that protection? Of course. But I think, I think you're in the process of finding that ground that works for you. And with any kind of trauma for any of us, um, it usually starts as hypervigilance because we're, we're recovering and so I just want to encourage you uh, to be compassionate towards yourself because I don't see you as being dramatic. I see it as being, um, you're protecting yourself. You're, ste you're stepping into that space for that child who you were and who you are at your core and going, that is enough, like <laughs> no more. And I think that that's really appropriate. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for noticing that and pointing it out. Um, I agree. That might be a thing that people have told me about myself or something I've somehow believed about myself that might not be true. I know that for many other Mormons, they don't have the same level of intensity that I did around their belief. Like, uh, I, like if you tell me something, I will believe it as a kid, like, and not just like symbolically or anything. Like I'm going to apply my entire mind to believing this and like understanding it. And so for me, the natural conclusion to that was ultimately pain. But I know that for a lot of people that uh, they're able to interface with Mormonism in a way that does not 
uh, result in like suicidal intent or, or not even necessarily pain as much. Um, and so for those people, I say, you know, good job and like keep on going, do your thing. For me, I found that like, um, I will take them at their word too much. Like I'm too good of a cult follower. Um, like if I have a cult leader and they tell me something, I am believing it to my core. There are other people who are more skeptical. And so um, for me, yeah, the protective mechanism, like the, the trauma response, the, the uh, protecting myself from that, it is because it, I think it's just abuse, it's just trauma. Like they've, people abused it. Um, and so now no one gets to abuse it anymore. <laughs> Yeah, and you're you're setting it straight for yourself, and I think I think that that's um, really healthy and full of hope in my mind. I I I um I know the the journey too in in this place has been difficult, um, but I really do appreciate um, I appreciate the courage that it's taken for you to take the steps of, of learning, um, how to protect you. And, and that's, uh, that's not easy to do. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you having me, um, on the podcast and stuff. It's a fun conversation. Um, and I, I wish you the best in your journey, wherever it takes you as well with your sort of, I don't know the right term to use, the faith transition uh, from one place to another. Um, I think it's an exciting place to be where, it's like me as an atheist, like there's some conclusions I've already drawn. You've made fewer conclusions and that sort of is an exciting place where like, who knows where it could go? It could be really interesting, the process of it. Yeah. And so I, I wish you best of luck with it. Thank you, I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, it is definitely confronting as I began to like unwind and dissect. Um, but to consider a lot of the mystery of life and of uh, ways of looking at the world has been um, interesting, like on a on a very rational level, but also in an, on an emotional one. So it's been a very um, already uh for me just on a personal level too and then I'll wrap for sure um but on a personal level I think I I I want <laughs> I desire to be in a place that I understand and I just don't have that clarity and um and I think part of that might still have to be with the leadership you know that was ingrained into me too it's like where do I stand in and how, how can I be an effective leader if I don't know where I'm leading people to, <laughs> if that makes sense. But I do, that's one of the premises of the podcast in general was to also just let people in on like, I'm not really having a good time right now. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, but at the same time to make peace with just because I don't know doesn't mean it's wrong and doesn't mean that hard is wrong. It just means that it's hard or it means that it's different. Mm -hmm. So I really, really appreciate you and your time. And, um, and yeah, I would love to have you back on and, um, and continue having more conversations around this. Sure. And for whatever it's worth, I think that you can be a leader without knowing where you're going. <laughs> 
Um, and I, my personal belief is that there is no single destination. Um, like for each person, there's no single destination, um, but definitely not for a group of people. I don't mm. think that there's a single destination. It's just constant change forever. Like it's a, it's a journey that never ends without a destination. That's sort of how I view things. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I think you that. can be a good leader without knowing everything. <laughs> you know, I think I believe that too. I think I feel like um, there's still that pressure. So that feels good to mm. me to explore too. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for being part of this community and for being here with me. It means the world. It really does. Um, if there's somebody else that needs to be in this conversation, please share this with them. Um, I would love to continue growing this community. And also, if you have just a quick two or three minutes, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing a review um, anywhere you listen to your podcasts. You know, a lot of times we're making decisions about where to invest our time and our money and our resources, and we check out reviews uh, to make decisions on where we're going to invest our life. So if this has been something to your life, um, which I'm so glad that it does, I would love for you to leave a review and share this podcast with your community so that we can continue to grow um, in knowledge and love with one another. So until next time.